Hi, this is Patrick Mitchell, creator and host of Print is Dead, Long Live Print. This podcast is made possible by the support of listeners like you. I'm humbled and grateful for the listener and sponsor interest over the past several months, and the volume of feedback from many of you has been amazing. This is a true passion project, and we intend to keep the podcast focused on content that informs, entertains, and inspires content creators of all kinds. One way to accomplish this is direct listener support. Your support helps us grow and expand, as well as helping cover the production costs that mount over a season of shows. We've set up a link where you can quickly and easily support the show. The whole thing will take under a minute. Just visit longliveprint.co support. That's longliveprint.co support. Once there, you'll see two buttons, subscribe and donate. Hit subscribe if you'd like to support us on a monthly basis for $5, 10 or $20. Hit donate to send us whatever amount you're comfortable with. You can contribute as much or as little as you like. If Print is Dead, Long Live Print is part of your day, week, or month, and you love what we're doing, please visit longliveprint.co support and help us any way you can today. Thank you very much. Enjoy the show. So I'm recording now. Oh, you're not clipped in. <clears throat> the short <shoulder. laughs> So fancy. <laughs> yeah, what's that? <laughs> I don't know what it is. It's just, okay. You said Martin Short. Now I feel like I'm Martin <laughs> Short. Am I sweating too much? <laughs> This is Print is Dead, Long Live Print, a podcast about magazines and the people who made and make them. I'm Deborah Bishop. I'm Patrick Mitchell. Dutch-born, California-raised designer Hans Tiensma began his magazine career working alongside editor Terry McDonald at Outside Magazine, which Rolling Stone founder Jan Wenner launched in San Francisco in 1977. When Wenner sold Outside two years later, Tiensma and McDonald headed to Denver to launch a new regional, Rocky Mountain Magazine, which would earn them the first of several ASME National Magazine Awards. On the move again, Teensma's next stop would be New England Monthly, another launch with another notable editor, Dan Okrent. The magazine was a huge hit, financially and critically, and won back-to-back ASME awards in 1986 and 87. Ready for a new challenge, and ready to call New England home, Teensma launched his own studio, Impress, in the tiny village of Williamsburg, Massachusetts. The studio has produced a wide range of projects, including startups and redesigns, as well as pursuing Teensma's passion for designing books. Since 1991, Teensma has been incredibly busy. He was part of a team that built a media empire for Disney, launching and producing Family Fun, Family PC, Wonder Time, and Disney Magazine. He's designed dozens of books and redesigned almost as many magazines, and he continues to lead the creative vision of the critically acclaimed nature journal, Orion. You might not know Teensma by name, but his network of deep friendships runs the gamut of media business royalty. Why? Because everybody loves Hans. When they designed the ideal temperament for survival in the magazine business, they might as well have used his DNA. He survived a nearly 50-year career thanks to his wicked sense of humor, his deep well of decency, and above all, his unlimited reserves of grace. You're gonna love this guy. 
A little programming note, this was the first ever Print is Dead interview, recorded in 2019, a few months before the COVID lockdown. In what seemed like a stroke of genius at the time, this episode was recorded live at Thai Place, a South Hadley, Massachusetts restaurant, and things were going fine until somebody brought their sugared up kid in for a late lunch at the next booth, followed by the staff deciding to start setting up for dinner at the same time. Apologies for the noise. Now, let's meet Hans. Hans, thank you. Uh, we're here in South Hadley, Massachusetts, in a restaurant called Thai Place, and I think it's Thai Place, right? My every indication, it looks like the place. Um, and I thought you might want to say hello to our massive Dutch audience and welcome them to oh, the podcast. Is there a mass audience out there from Holland? Well, Goeiedag, and dit is met Hans, and... Uh, I am now uh, going to join all the people born below sea level and wish you a happy day. Awesome. Thank you. So we're going to talk about your beginnings. And so maybe you could just uh, rattle off kind of your background from where you were born and who your family was yeah. and how you were brought up. Real quickly, I was born in a very early age, below sea level in Holland, The Hague, came over uh age about 10. Moved to LA, grew up in uh, Bellflower Artesia, where all the famous uh, Pixar and Disney people grew up, but I didn't meet them till too late. <laughs> and uh, uh, but I had a very happy childhood. And I do remember many, many uh, wonderful experiences out there. And I think it might have influenced me because I'm just a happy kid. The glass is half full at the top, which is even more interesting. I have to ask, did you ever put your finger in a dike? No. I, 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 I think that's a, uh, a, a... Well, we know that story long ago. But, <laughs> yes, right. But I uh, never had that... I was never called to action. Good, uh, good. But I do love old the Dutch masters and the Dutch graphic designers. And, you know, every time I hear the word Dutch, I perk up. Uh, so yeah. it stayed with me a lot. Do you? So were you aware of design even at that point? Did it just kind of surround you? I think it did. I mean, I... You know, as an art director, uh, many art directors that I know, we, we try to do everything. We want to be illustrators, typographers, photographers. We do everything. And I was doing everything since I was, you know, walking. I like to, you, you didn't know the difference between uh, kunst and, uh, and life. It's all the same. So I, I, and all the Dutch books that I was given and took back with me to America, and I've always had those. I grew up with those in comic books and and uh, the lot the very NPC comic books that were from the fifties. Yeah. Right. So uh, and I took every art class there was in in, in L.A. I went to Long Beach State uh, for my university. Oh wait, let me back up. What did your parents do? Oh, my dad was an engineer technical engineer as a draftsman. He uh, designed Her Majesty's ships. And when he came over to America, he had to uh, switch over to cranes and all kinds of art. Why did you guys move to the U.S.? I think clearly it was because of the. this was the land of opportunity in 1960. Uh, this was the land of milk and honey. We had Eisenhower's president, soon to be Kennedy. Uh, so this wasn't a transfer. This was a a choice to move. Yeah, we were, we were we were on a list to legally immigrate uh, either to either Brazil or to America, and we got on the list, and, and America came up first. So we had some sponsors here who greeted us, and uh, we didn't know what we were going to do except this was the land of, of of opportunities, and and the Cadillacs had huge fins, Chevrolet. <laughs> Don't forget the '59 Chevy. I mean, things were just 
you know, fantastic. We got all of our dishes and towels and boxes of Tide. It was just wealth and, and, and happiness and optimism. How big is your family? I have uh, three brothers and a sister, so five all together, and we're all spread out all over the United States. Any of them choose a creative life? Not in my opinion. No. They, they're all uh, very uh, dedicated civil servants. They all went into uh, government work and, and uh, real interesting, you know, they love nature and, and, uh, and, and gardening and, and, and weather and all that stuff, but they're not artists. Uh, uh, and my mother, who was, you know, a Hausfrau, she did not know there was anything besides housework, but super optimistic, great sense of humor. And I think uh, that really made me what I am today. You said you went to what, Long Beach State? Yeah, University of California, Long Beach. And uh, I had a fantastic professor named George Turnbull, graduated in 75. And until he passed last year, I was still in touch with him. He was wow. my mentor. And I went to see him in Northern California, where he stopped teaching to raise quarter horses, which was another big plus for me. Was, a, was it a big design school? The college was really good for for graphic design and art. And the, the department was really substantial. I remember we used to have joint portfolio reviews with Art Center. And um, an Art Center was, you know, really good. There's people masters. But what we had that Art Center doesn't have is all the other classes that you have to attend. So our artwork had a lot of content and concept and stuff to it that they didn't have. They had the, the super skills for art and design. But we had concepts, you know, we, we took our stuff from uh, philosophy and Chinese history and all that kind of stuff and worked it into our work, you know, unconsciously. We just were always thinking of the narrative in, in design. So I think we, we excelled in that stance. What was your major called? I think it was, uh, I think they just started the BFA program there. So it was just art. But I took every art class. It took me six years to graduate because I couldn't say no to any class. Printmaking, design, illustration, photography. You know, I, I just didn't want to leave. I just loved it all. Had you at, at any point that young started to zero in on magazines? No. As a matter of fact, having graduated, the day I graduated, I moved to San Francisco Bay Area because I didn't want to get stuck in L.A. because I don't like that much traffic. And that was my goal all along, is to get out of L.A. as soon as I could. And so I moved to the Bay Area and thought, what am I going to do? And I, and I pounded the pavement and tried this and that. And I, about a year later, after working as a graphic designer at a photography studio, I said, hey, wait a minute. What I like to do is educate and entertain. And the only thing I thought of that did that was magazines. I thought, magazines educate and entertain. And uh, I didn't want to do advertising, logos, all the kind of stuff. So um, I was bird watching with uh, my good friend Peter Matheson at the time. And he said, hey, there's a new magazine started by Rolling Stone in San Francisco called Outside. Why don't you go look them up? And I did. And I, timing was perfect. I think I was prepared. I put together a portfolio with all my photographs, all my concepts, all my art, using Letraset. <laughs> and, and I put together a portfolio, which I still have to this day. And I walked in there and I just lucked out because they just decided to get rid of their art director. And I took over as my very first job as paste-up, design, and a week later, art director. So huh. it's 1977, you're in San Francisco, and you're now the art director of Outside Magazine. I couldn't believe it. Yeah, I mean, I was 27 years old. I'd never done anything like this before. Could but... you ignore the fact that you were in the same building as one of the most important magazines in the history of the world. Oh, man, that was part of it. You know, yeah. I mean, there was brick and ferns everywhere. And if you saw the uh, movie uh, Almost Famous, you realize that was my, my world. And it's a hangover. Uh, so they shared an office. 
Was it? Did they share? They had just moved okay. from New York to Fifth Avenue next to the GM building. Was so it we, outside in the old Rolling Stone building? Yes, the old, the old office. We had the giant Robertson camera. That's a camera that's about 40 feet long that, that, that shoots the, the flats. Yeah. We had Annie Leibovitz's pictures stuck behind desks and underneath chairs and stuff. We kept finding little bits and pieces of it. We had a few of the leftover uh, uh, editors, Ben Fontoras and uh, and uh, uh, Tim Cahill and all the people were still hanging around there. And so it was, we were very aware of it. Plus, they had just invented a new thing called the, the Mojo, which was a fax machine. And of course, Roger Black, uh, who was now with Rolling Stone in New York, uh, wanted to see layouts. And so he would, you know, expect to do Mojo to him. And uh, that got old very quickly, but we were so impressed that, my God, you can see a layout through the wires within five minutes. Was it color? No, black and white. Yeah. The first, the first facts, 1977. And soon um, we were, so we did a number of issues. The editor was Terry McDonald, who was a, you know, a terrific uh, uh, startup magazine. Editor. Legend. A legend, indeed. And so, and then next thing you know, uh, Jan Wenner sold it to uh, Mariah in Chicago, which eventually moved to Santa Fe. Yes. And so, uh, Outside Magazine is, is one of the few magazines of my, of my 20 magazines that is still living. How new was it when you got there? They, had they... Brand new. Brand new. So, yeah. you were there for issue one? No, that was maybe issue four, but you know, they were just, uh, Virginia team was the, uh, at CBS in in Tennessee was the official art director, but it, it you know, it was still finding its feet. So we were just so really starting it. I remember it back then. Was was there a direction from on top to make the design feel related to Rolling Stone? Not at all. No, no. So you think it was more of the time than of Rolling Stone, that style of typography, three-dimensional yeah. fonts, et cetera? Yeah, yeah. I brought my fonts and, and you know, Roger definitely uh, liked a few more than others, but I would, you know... I, Gigio got brought into the right. pool, but uh, but mo- and a few rules, but uh, mostly it was it was my doing because topography was my thing at the, even at that young age with unexperienced and you know I faked my way through them as a magazine completely because I just knew type and I knew what I liked. Was this Jan Wenner's idea outside magazine? Yes and no. It was uh, it was uh, probably uh, had a lot to do with Jan having the resource to do something like this it was a great idea but uh, my next magazine which i'll talk about in a second uh was really uh the forerunner of uh, of outside but but uh so when he sold it terry and i moved to new york because it was, wasn't officially sold yet so we decided to just kind of keep it going in new york but then we realized soon that it was not going to go anywhere he sold it completely and then I was invited to stay working for Rolling Stone with in the, New York in New York with the Mary Shanahan and Greg Scott. So the three of us were designing the magazine at that time. This How was, long were you in New York for? I was in New York about eight months, just as I was in San Francisco. So one thing changes after another, and uh, I got an invitation to move to Denver to start a magazine called Rocky Mountain Magazine by a guy named Terry Sieg, who went to Jan Winter a year before that to try to do a magazine called Outdoor Magazine. So once again, uh, and of course, Jan ended up training the entire staff, which Terry McDonald and I moved to Denver and used several of the people from Outside Magazine to, to quickly launch Rocky Mountain Magazine, which, by the way, also won a national magazine award for General Excellence. And uh, uh, it was uh, an edgy magazine, uh, never before seen in that part of the country uh, of the six Rocky Mountain states. How long did that one last? Three years. And what killed it? Advertising. Just, you know, if you depend on advertising, you're you're, you're putting yourself out there. So, so I didn't know what to do exactly, except then I, uh, I got an invitation to apply for Texas Monthly magazine and one of the editors down there of texas monthly press scotched a deal 
They went to Fred Woodward instead of myself. And uh, the next day he called me and said, you want to move to New England and start a regional magazine called New England Monthly. So by that time, I knew that I was a migrant magazine designer. I would go wherever there was work, you know. So that was great. So then Dan Oakley and I started a New England Monthly magazine. And that went for a a good eight or nine years before, again, advertising killed the magazine. swept up a bunch of awards. Yeah, got got back-to-back National Magazine Awards for General Excellence. which Spawned incredible talent throughout the magazine. World, we got we got we got a lot of great writers and artists and contributors, and they've never seen anything like it before. You know, to me, general excellence is the, the word that I want to get because it means that art and editorial are are well married together. You know, right. and it really works out well. And that was uh, my last regional magazine. We'll be right back. Print is dead is made possible with the support of Mag Culture. Read our online journal, listen to our podcast, and visit our shop discover why we're convinced print is very much alive. All available at magculture.com. So around 1990, you find yourself in the foothills of the Berkshires in this beautiful part of the country, and the magazine that brought you here is gone. You and a bunch of other people were stranded, and you had an inspiration. I quit the magazine. One of the first jobs I ever quit because I really thought about that time in 1990 that I actually was more like 88 that I said, I want to do my own thing. And I would consult, and that didn't last long because nobody wants a consultant. So they got, a, you know, my associates Tim Gaber and Mike Grinley took over, and they did a great job, you know, taking it to the mm-hmm. next step. Dan Oakman also left the magazine, and so I started Impress in '88, the year I got married at 37, and I thought, okay, this is going to be fun. So we started. Why uh, Impress? I just love printing, and I just love the double entendre of I want to, I want to make something special, to make something good, and I want to put ink on paper, and that's because. I still believe, and I still believe forever, that ink should be on paper. And so uh, we did a few magazines. We did a few redesigns. We, you know, we got invited to work on, on uh, People magazine and uh, Newsweek magazine. In what way? The redesigns? Redesigns, yeah, but not successful, I would say. I mean, we, we, we won in there. I mean, when I did uh, Newsweek, uh, Bill Broyles was just a named editor, and uh that didn't work out for him, so thus it didn't work out for me. Uh, you know, these. But so you were, but you were dependent on New York really for clients. Yeah, yeah. I think the the magazine all came out of New York, and at the time I was doing mostly magazines. I'd done a couple of books with uh, Stuart DeBorian Chang, and uh, was it difficult to convince New York clients that you were this little studio and the Berkshires could compete with the big guys in New York City? Was that ever a barrier for you, an obstacle? It was, yeah, I think it was a challenge because, you know, they'd say, like, how can you be the next morning? And I'd have to take a train in. And I was, in 88, I was taking the train in New York at least once a week and or driving in. And uh, gradually they saw that uh, it's possible to, you know, come in every now and then. But we remember in those days, we were still Xeroxing in, uh, layouts, pasting them together, sending them via FedEx, and they would see the next day the modem, uh, which right. was, uh, you know, we would just, you know, Apple just came out. And uh, Dan Oakman, who was in New York at the time, and I started a magazine called, it was a spinoff of Life. I think we called it Our Times, which was oh. the first young magazine. Mm-hmm. So we would try different things, but they, they never really got past issue one. But I had a little overhead. I'm in New England, you know, I'm, I'm enjoying my evenings. And uh, it wasn't a problem at all, you know, just doing freelance work here and there. So your new studio impresses up and running, and you're working with clients around the country and in New York. And then one day, 
day, your doorbell rings. And a guy named Jake Weinbaum said, hey, you want to do a, a magazine about air and space? And I said, sure. So we went down to D.C. or where he was. and uh, Jake was an editor at U.S. News? No, he was a... He was a marketing guy, okay. U.S. News, and but he had an idea for a magazine. At first, it was air and space, and that didn't work. And then it was windsurfing, and I couldn't stand up straight, so that didn't work. And then he had an idea for a family magazine. And so we uh, uh, we did a bunch of mock-ups of a magazine called Family Fun, which wasn't my idea for a good title, but it, it said everything. For the first time, this will be a magazine for how to have fun with the family, not not a bunch of advice. And uh, that came out of my little tiny studio in a little village in New England. And uh, next thing you knew, we did the big story on Disney. He went to Disney with the magazine, sold it to them, and all of a sudden we had... Uh, we had resources. Backing up to Jake, by meeting you, he stumbled on to not only a design studio, but a bunch of editorial talent that exactly. was in the area from New England Monthly and elsewhere, right? Exactly, yeah. And so I don't guess his initial plan was to start this empire in Northampton. No, he never intended that. No, he really, he remembers saying many times ago, I never thought this was going to happen, but here I am. So he's the one driving from New York. Now he's in New York working at U.S. News there. And pretty soon he said, okay, I got a magazine going here. And, you know, I'm stuck with Hans, who's in New England, but he has a lot of friends who know how to make magazines. So the thing just kind of started taking off. Did he ever move here? Never did. But he got the first cell phone that I'd ever seen. (laughs) <laughs> that Western Mass had ever seen. Yeah, it was a big one, but it, right. you know, it worked almost everywhere but my village. So they launched with Family Fun. This, and, and at that point, Jake was not connected to Disney. So Disney comes along and buys Family Fun? Yes. Yeah. And then launches a whole and then after publishing ten, division. Yeah, within the next 10 years, it really started taking off. And know. what were some of the things they yeah. published? Well, they, they uh, after Family Fun was running, and we're talking million circulation, uh, he started a magazine about computers and uh, became a uh, family PC, which, uh, which became partnership with uh, um, Ziff Davis. And so one thing leads to another. And the next thing you know, Jake's a brilliant uh, magazine mogul. And he does, uh, uh, we did a magazine called uh, Wonder Time, which part of my staff and, and, and the brilliant Carolyn Eckert took over, plus the editors, uh, Lisa Steepock and, 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 and Halleck. And uh, that started taking off. Then they brought Disney Adventures to us, which we thought we could do better than uh, people in New York. And uh, we had a lot of other ideas. There were, there were a couple other purely just Disney magazines, right? Well, oh, uh, I, I, I totally skipped over how we met, which was when Impress launched, one of your clients was Musician Magazine, which was in my neck of the woods in Gloucester. You were consulting on a redesign and had been asked to help them find a new art director. And I had known of you because you were a big deal. And I think I had reached out to you independently of that opportunity. And just, I think we sort of stayed in touch in the way you could do before social media and other ways. That's right. And right place, right time, um, you brought me in to interview for a musician. I got the job. We got to work together for a couple issues. And then fast forward, but not too much, we had started a kind of a friendship. And at some point, Disney came to you with this idea for a Sunday newspaper magazine called Disney's Big Time. That's right. And then we got a chance to collaborate on that. And I would come out here to visit you in Northampton and work weekends and and then one other time, this was a bigger thing for me, you got called in to pitch Design Fast Company. Yeah. 
And you happened and to be you, in town or something? Yeah. You came along with me for the fun? You invited me, but maybe you just needed a ride. I don't know. But you brought me into that meeting, and I got to meet Bill Taylor and Alan Weber, the founders. And this was maybe a year before they launched. They had no funding. And they were interviewing design firms to help them create their prototype. And we didn't get it. Roger Black got it. But that was another opportunity for us to work together. And then a year later, they actually had launched. They had money, and they hired me and started my career. So You made a great impression on them, and I'll never forget the, the way they kept looking at you when I was trying to get their attention. All right, so we're back at Impress. Your, your studio's still up and running. You're, I don't know, maybe scarily reliant on Disney for a big chunk of your business. In other words, if they were to leave, what happens? But one of these magazines was Disney Magazine, which is, so what's the distribution model there? Was it a newsstand magazine? Yeah, most of them subscribers are newsstand. They had they had over 500,000 circulation, which is real substantial for them, but their model was really growth. And if you aren't growing 20%, and wasn't good enough. So, right. so we couldn't believe they would pull the plug at, after nine years of doing well, 500,000 circulation magazine. However, uh, with James McDonald and I and uh, a really good staff, uh, we were able to start doing other books for Disney editions. Yeah. And I made some really great friends at the studio and at Pixar with uh, Don Hahn and Pete Doctor. Uh, who have continued, and, and Wendy Lefcon at Disney Edition. So I continue to do big books for Disney, big animation books with 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 a you know, vast landscape of, of art. And, uh, and and to this day, I'm still relying on doing a lot so of books. So at this point, you're you're doing one magazine regularly, and. 90% books as well. Really, books is your business now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, and Instagram. I, I didn't fail to mention it. Well, I, you know, I do love that. That's my toy. But I forgot to mention that somewhere along the line, I was asked to do Orion Magazine, which I'm still doing now, 21, 22 years later. And that's a quarterly. It was six times a year. Now it's quarterly doing no advertising, so there's clue there. Not dependent on the ups and downs of, of, of advertising. So that's still around. Uh, lots of art, lots of pictures. And uh, Is it dear and, to you? Do you have a sort of, is it yeah, I'd occupy say, a special place? Yes, yes, yes. It's everything I believe. You know, I believe in, in interesting art, interesting stories, stories that make a difference. Well, it's uh, just yeah. so for the listeners, what is Orion Magazine? Well, it's a it's a magazine that kind of uh, heals the fractured relationship between nature and people, you know, and it, it, that with with art, poetry, culture, you can actually celebrate nature in a very uh, practical way, and also uh, you you aspire to 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 uh, getting people to relate to the natural world and 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 help sustain it, you know. So that more than ever, almost every year since then, uh, it's more important to keep that one going. And I, I really do love the magazine, you know, and I would probably do that if I didn't need a job. We'll be right back. Your contributions are the lifeblood of this podcast. Here's how you can support us in this work. Number one, become a sustaining patron by making a monthly donation. Or number two, make a one-time donation in the amount that works best for you. Visit printisdead.co slash support for more information. I'd like to ask, is print dead? I, I do not think print is dead. Orion seems to agree with you. Well, for a while, Orion was headed toward digital edition only. And I kept thinking, are you sure you want to do this? Because, you know, uh, my philosophy, my business card says to have and hold. You can't have and hold something that's digital. And and the audience, I know, is a little more conservative and, and conservation is their is their name. They do like to, you know, curl up and and read a magazine from beginning to end and touch it and 
relate to it and get back to it and keep it. Um, and I think there's a great place for uh, Orion blogs and online and so forth. But uh, I don't think that one's going to go anywhere. And uh, and I think that's, uh, that's a good example of why we need a printed magazine. Does your business card really say to have and to hold? It does, yeah. I did not know that. That's a great line. So you're obviously still inspired about what you do. What inspires you about print? I think I just love to see things uh, and know that they're going to be there when I turn off the light and put it in place. I like to write on it. I like to touch it. I like to uh, stick it on the shelf and put it on my desk uh, to have and hold, as I said, is my is my philosophy and my business card. I was the first person to buy an iPad when it came out because I really think that's a terrific interactive kind of thing. And I love my iPhone, even if it's, uh, it's mostly a camera for me. Uh, but I do uh, think that uh, print isn't going anywhere. I've seen a lot of bookstores close and the borders close, everything close. And yet I go to Barnes & Noble and I go to the magazine section and I find myself there for an hour just picking things up, flipping through them. And I know it's more vertical than it was uh, in the past days when, when the content was more horizontal. But there's something for everybody there. Uh, and I, I'm a firm believer and I'll be the last person to say print is dead. Okay, so you've made it clear you're dedicated to print. However, you find yourself at this stage in your life as a, what we call an Instagram influencer, a late-in-life Instagram influencer. Yeah. The reason we're here today in Western Mass is I came to see Hans's show at the Ready Wipe Gallery, a funky little gallery in downtown Holyoke, Mass. And why don't you tell me a little bit about this show? It was really incredible. Well, it's a good topic because the theme being uh, print and digital. Uh, here I am, you know, being invited about three years ago to join the Instagram community. I don't like Facebook or the Facebook, as I call it, uh, because it's too much of a black hole I get sucked into. But but I love the idea of a picture a day or a picture every other day that kind of tells a thousand words. Maybe it's up to 1,500 now. But it's a, it's a beautiful way to relate to something you've seen that's interesting. As my, my uh, colleagues, uh, Moira Gretto says, it's a it's a little in between times during the day, or as my other colleague Carolyn Eckert, who's the aforementioned art director of Wonder Time, it's a moment to capture something uh, special, unique, uh, emotional, uh, graphic. Uh, it's one of them, and we thought, well, this is great. Um, you know, we're posting it. We we like each other. We just kind of. Uh, Continued this. To me, it's a puppet show where I can entertain people. Going back to 1977 to educate and entertain, although it's more entertainment than education. And then all of a sudden, somebody said, Why don't you have a show? Would you like to have a show at this gallery? And all of a sudden, we're finding ourselves printing these little ethereal uh, squares into these. 12 by 12 giclées on archival paper with archival inks and people coming to see it with lights on it. And they're all holding, shot on iPhone. All shot on iPhone. Everything was an iPhone 6 or 7 and uh, and and people are walking around with little cheese plates and wine saying, oh, look, what's the artist thinking here? And they go, well, I was thinking, I mean, this is a long drive. This is a, <laughs> it's a beautiful icy storm. I think I'll take a picture of it. And all of a sudden we realized that uh, print is not dead. They're, they're, the, the, the Instagram ethereal pictures have a whole new life on the wall. And although, you know, we, we put up about uh, 200 of them, we were not 
you know, we're not selling them. We're not making a living on them. They're just to entertain and enjoy. But we do have about two years worth of Christmas presents now to give out to people. <laughs> well, I have to say that I find your Instagram very inspiring because, I mean, I'm jealous because I wish I could spend the amount of time that you appear to be spending on it. It's so good. I mean, given, you know, you're not shooting what you ate today. You've got a concept and you make short films and you make beautiful photos and there's always a story. It's a continuation of what you've spent your entire career doing. And to see it in that the context of an art gallery with, with your colleagues was, mm. I don't know. I mean, on the one hand, none of you profess to be artists in that way. And yet in that context, you're re really great artists. These Instagram feeds are incredible. So I don't know if that's your future, but I, but I hope I hope it is. I think it'll re remain my future because mostly since, you know, since I graduated or since I was a boy growing up in home, I just love what I do. If I didn't have to make a living, I'd still be doing the exact same thing. I'd be making a magazine to ed ed educate and entertain. And I would be making books because I love books. I love to have and hold. And I would be taking pictures, you know. I'm yeah. out when the iPhone 21 comes out, I'm going to be the first one there taking pictures and entertaining yeah. people. You know? Well, for all of you wannabe influencers, uh, check out at hteensma on Instagram. You won't be sorry, and hopefully you'll learn a thing or two. So I have a little set of rapid-fire questions, um, and we'll just go right into it. Number one, what is your favorite color? Well, it used to be the rainbow, but that's too cliche, so now I'm going to say it's just PMS 405. All right. Look that one up, people. Mm. Who is or are your mentors? Well, the guy that taught me in 74, 75, George Turnbull, who raised quarter horses, he's still the guy in my voice in my head that says, when I, when I finish a layout, he says, what if? And I'm going, oh, yeah, what if? So he's still it. Favorite band? It has to be the Beatles. Yeah, and the song is flying because they did, they, they it's such a goofy, crazy song where they don't even have any words. I just love how imaginative they were. Did you see the movie yesterday? I was going to see it tomorrow. <laughs> favorite font scala serif okay this is an important question to me because it's it's how i define myself i'm definitely a journey person but are you destination or journey i am journey person yeah i love the the, the route no matter where it goes even if the route makes you forget what the destination was especially if yes yeah. okay coffee or tea coffee how uh with milk lots of milk coke or pepsi i hate them both Good. yeah green Good. tea with honey are you a morning person or a night person? Uh, the nights are infinite, so I've never done, so I guess I'm the night person. Do you have any any particular philosophy about that? I mean, I'm a night person, and I swear by it. No, I find myself very, very, very perked up in the morning, uh, but usually it's the birds that wake me up because I'm still working. A laptop or desktop? My laptop is my desktop. I don't even know the difference because I plug it into a big monitor, and I could never work on a small screen. Right. Serif or Sans? I love Serif. Serif is, is you know, my thing, uh, which makes Sans Serif even exciting when you do use it once in a while. We'll be right back. Print is Dead is made possible with the support of the Society of Publication Designers. The SPD powers the future of visual storytelling, setting the standard for editorial excellence, and shaping the future of visual culture. For more information, visit spd.org. A few years ago when I came up, to visit you. I think it was a fall day. It was kind of wet and rainy. Uh, you took me out to see the labyrinth that you've built. And years later now, I'm 
way more into hiking. I'm in the woods more. And I've started thinking about your labyrinth, which is very well documented on your Instagram. And I wanted to ask you, I know this is a super important thing to you. And I, at the time, it just kind of went over my head. But now with my new appreciation for nature, I kind of wanted to get your take on where it came from, how you named it, what its purpose is. So tell us about how it got started. Well, uh, I'm a nature uh, lover, and I and I don't like lawns pretty much because it's not much use to most animals and and critters. So I I just started mowing it in interesting ways. I just started mowing it as a, as the land and the plants that were popping up around me. So I just kind of let them grow. So it kind of it designed itself. And now after 15 years, or it's it's over my head in most places. Lots of bushes popped up, uh, crab apples, and I just kind of trim it here and there. And it becomes my morning and evening walk almost every day, uh, year round, snow or no snow. And it's uh, talk about the journey. It really uh, it just clears my mind. I mean, I'm just, I long to walk and be surprised. And it's 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 not a it's not a traditional shape. It's 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 very meandering, and it continues. So you never know when you've started and ended it. And to me, it's life. You just don't know. So what started as a something to spice up your mowing? At what point did it get a name? Well, it uh, I was you know excited to to let my uh, dear friends walk it, and and when my my mother was getting very old, and when I decided to take her to Holland once she she came out from L.A. I, she walked a labyrinth, and I was so touched that the woman I've known longer than anyone was impressed and saw the, the need for such a meandering walk. I just named it after her. Her name is Henny or Hinderika. So it became Hinderika's Labyrinth. And uh, so I celebrate that every on her birthday. It's, it's uh, June 5th, and that's when it officially opens each year for a whole bunch of people to come over and just walk it. And, and one of my joys is to sit on my porch and watch the neighborhood kids running through it, you know, because you can appreciate it at all different levels. There is a way out, right? There, there's... there's uh, Always a way out. I mean, all the kids are accounted for. <laughs> yes, I do have. Uh, I have uh, three or four uh, emergency exits in case you get you panic. But I love it when I actually panic and I think, forget where I am because my mind is all over the place or or nowhere. And it's you know, and clearing the mind is is a very healthy thing to do every now and then. And I really think, oh dear, am I am I lost? Has this become like you can't live a day without walking the labyrinth? I'm not happy if I don't walk the is labyrinth. Is it a slow process? Do you stop and notice things? And It's always different. That's what's wonderful about it. You know, sometimes I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about a book that I'm designing. Sometimes I'm thinking about uh, my children, uh, and my wonderful wife, Ren Bertram. Uh-huh. And uh, but sometimes it's just absolutely clear. Sometimes it's about uh, you know a bald-faced wasp that's 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 aggravating me. Uh, and one time I found a deer sleeping in it, you know, and a, and a snapping turtle. And uh, it always surprises me. So it clears the mind. It's wonderful. It's something. It's a human condition. It's like meditation. It's like meditation, and it's like uh, exercise too, because you just you're you're. You're moving left, right. It's 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 very organic, as I said. It's 300 yards, and it continues. So you can walk it for an hour or two hours or 10 minutes if you want. Uh, I don't have a large backyard, but that to me is it's an infinite walk, and that and it can be solemn or social. Absolutely, yes, and it usually is. And then you have you have a throne in the middle of it, the tower. Oh yes, yes, yes. I decided uh, uh, that I needed the place where I could sit up and just kind of observe it all and uh silly as it is it's built around this elm tree my friend carolyn has suggested i put it there and i uh go up there all the time and i just uh 
see animals that don't expect a human being to be sitting up in a tower. Uh, that's great about the labyrinth. It's constantly changing, and that's why it's a metaphor of life. So you're 68. You've had a full and rich career that continues. You're out here in this beautiful part of the country, in a beautiful town. You've got the perfect studio that's attached to your house now. What's a perfect day for you? Oh, a perfect this day. moment in your life. Yeah, well, a perfect day would be waking up having coffee with my wife on the back porch, uh, observing the labyrinth, but taking care of the little uh, morning necessities before I go out and wander by myself. Then I decide what to do that day. I usually like to accomplish five things, and uh, usually a couple of deadlines are included, a trip to the library, which I can walk to from my house. And uh, then I go to work, and I take a break in the middle of the day. I might go out to the labyrinth again, trim a few leaves, design something, fax something. Oh, no, we don't do anything. Um, and but you can do it for fun. And then in the perfect day, my kids would come home from wherever they are, and they would have dinner with us, and probably on the back porch or sit nearby. And uh, if the moon is full, I might go out and walk the labyrinth one more time. And then... Uh, and then around midnight to decide to stop working and uh, cozy up and get the saddle. I really appreciate you doing this. Thanks for getting together with me. Thanks for letting me see your show before the show ends. And um, Well, thank you. And I want to, uh, uh, I just uh, really admire our friendship and finding you in Detroit to Musician Magazine has been the highlight of my life. And, and I really hope that we, we continue to inspire each other and uh, doing stuff like this. So but let's just uh, say it never ends. You can learn more about Teensma at his website, impressinc.com. But even better, follow him on Instagram at hteensma and spend some time scrolling there. You're going to find some real gems. If you'd like to connect more deeply with our guests, be sure to visit our website where we have complete transcripts of all our interviews, along with portfolios, archival photos, links, and other great information. Visit longliveprint.co interviews for more. In other news, we've got swag. Yep, you can get Print is Dead merch on our site at longliveprint.co shop. All purchases go directly to supporting the podcast. Check back often. We're adding new stuff all the time. And finally, make sure you subscribe to our newsletter by using the form on our homepage. It's the best way to stay up to date on all of the Print is Dead news and to receive advance notice on the latest episodes. Print is Dead, Long Live Print is a production of Modus Operandi Design. For more information, visit our website, longliveprint.co. Follow us on social media at Print is Dead Pod. Please give us a like and a review on your favorite podcast app. It really helps. Thanks very much for listening. Your contributions are the lifeblood of this podcast. Here's how you can support us in this work. Number one, become a sustaining patron by making a monthly donation. Or number two, make a one-time donation in the amount that works best for you. Visit printisdead.co support for more information.